While recently in London, I caught up with my good friend, actor and musician, Greg Canestrari. We recorded this podcast episode over a few drinks at a hotel bar near Piccadilly Circus. We discuss his work in musical theater, his acting with Stephen Van Zandt on the Netflix series Lillehammer, and his recent work with director Tim Burton. Here's part two of our conversation. Today's podcast is brought to you by JLC Accounting, bookkeeping, accounting, tax preparation, and advisory. For more information, visit jlc-accounting.com. That's jlc-accounting.com. Now here's your host, Brian Brodor. Left turn. So Left turn. All right. Non-actor question, right? So okay. I'm going to ask this question assuming that people see you as someone with American roots, right? Yeah. Right? Which, which they all do. Right. Now, granted, we're not in Paris, which being an American in Paris is different than an American in London. Am I that's correct? Right, that's true. That's very true. Right? Very different. So given the political climate of these days, you know, do you find any pushback of being connected to America? <laughs> now, I, I just no, went into not, politics, not, but not really. I'm no, very no, no, curious that, that's about That's okay. This. That's okay. Yes, but most people here and all over the world know that I'm not part of the government. Right. And they know the difference between government and people. Right. And I'm people. So they automatically know that I'm not the cause of whatever strife they might have, you know. Right. And I always put them at ease as well by saying, Oh, sorry, I'm American. You know, what can what can you do, right? <laughs> of course, I'm not really your hands so, up. Mind you, so I'm not really sorry, but I mean, but I'm play. You know, I play it just in case they think I'm the typical arrogant American that a lot of people think come there. But it's just, it's a fallacy. It's not correct. Americans are not arrogant. Right. Well, I guess that was at the root of my question. Is I was assuming somewhat of a, a perception of Americans in one particular way based on the recent politics. But right. that also has a fold over to Brexit as well because that's kind of leaked into British politics as well. Right, but I mean here, you know, people, even though they know I'm American, they also know I'm Italian. And so to me, some people don't even know what I am. And they're like, are you American? Are you Italian? I'm like, well, listen to me. Do I sound anything but American? Number one, but number two, I was born and raised in America. You know that. Right. So I'm American. I mean, look at me, I'm American. But I'm also Italian, and I'm here because I'm Italian, and I'm proud that I'm Italian as well. I am both. That is a reality. That is real and tangible. It's not like it's, yeah. oh, you're just not choosing, you know. Tell me what about being Italian-American, tell me what that means to you. You know, tell I mean, me I can get the mafia roles without a problem. Oh. I'm like, hey, what's going on over here? Right, but you know, That's you, where Lilyhammer okay, came look, from, right? you joke, right? But that, in a way, do you feel a connection do you resonate more with Italian-American roles like I, that, like either organized crime, yeah. you know? I right. am a kind of a go-to actor that says, you know, we need Italian-Americans. Well, let's get Greg in because that's what I do. It's just one of my things besides, you know, doctors, policemen, military, general. That type of Italian American. Sure. I don't want to pigeonhole it, say mafia. That's not right. No, it isn't. But I, yeah. in fact, that comes with its own cliches. Yeah, right? which I don't. Yeah. Which is not right. And but so then again, everybody that. holds up Godfather as the best movie ever. Right. But let's not pigeonhole that. Just because no. I'm Italian American doesn't mean people are involved. No, not exactly. Mafia. So right. I mean, I, I don't. I want to clarify that. But Italian American. Let's just leave it at that. 
because you know. Well, that, let, let that's me, good let me drill into that. So, okay. if that's a world, a world of roles that resonates yeah. for you in your work, do you find that there's a level of cliche to that? You know, when you're dealing with casting or when you're dealing with writers who are writing roles, you know, do you walk to in an and extent, go, oh, to an extent, know? there is. I find that the whole genre is actually getting a bit dated, in all honesty, because I mean, well, is it is it really? You know, to be doing this all the time, going, hey, what's going on? You know, you take did the that. Cannoli. I've been there, been there, done that. You know what I mean? We, we've all been there. I mean, it's like, okay, you're Italian American. Thank you very much. Right. We, we understand. So that's how I say. I feel like it's getting dated, unless you present different scenarios to it. Well, my question is, when you walk into a casting call. Do you feel like you're under an umbrella of perception? In other words, oh, here's Ken Estrari, Italian-American guy, you know. No, you I feel, feel I'm under the umbrella of the fact that I'm there because they know they think I can do this. Right, they're already confident in it. Yeah, and even when I just, I just finished shooting uh, Foreign Skies, yeah. and the way the director was speaking to me, it was very complimentary in a sense with Greg. It's like, listen. Tell me about that. Well, because he, he was very not going into things fully because he understood I knew I was an actor. Right. You know, and that's a compliment to me. Let me suss it out, you know. Sure. And they do that at casting auditions as well. Greg, we want the other thing, you know what I mean? It's the sense of they trust me as an actor. Never right. mind what I'm doing, you know, Italian-American, whatever the character may be. Yeah. As an actor, they're beginning to trust me more and more. And that's a great thing. It's a compliment. And so what I hate doing is, God forbid, if I ever let them down, you know, that does my head in. Yeah, but they can only trust you if you have that in your toolkit. We, yeah, right. that's true. Yeah, you're going to go, oh, okay, that, 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 you want that, it this that, way. That is true, but I'll never divulge the fact that I may not have that in my toolkit. So I either, I either deliver or I'm not delivering. But I mean, I, I think I do deliver. Yeah, you know, I of think course I you do. do. Thankfully, as time goes on and the more experience I have, I'm beginning to be able to pull from past acting experiences and bring it to the present, and, and it helps me quite a bit. Of course. You know, well, this director has acted this way or requested this. You know, don't get the director's uh, approval. That's fine. You know, it's not the approval. It's like, he goes, good job, Greg. I remember, good job, Greg. I'm going, good job or excellent job? <laughs> or did you I mean want good job? excellent because, you know, and I remember actors going, Greg, chill. Because, you know, he said good job. That meant chill. You're doing great. <laughs> you know, but I'm going, he's my OC kicking great, great. in, going, am I okay? You know, well, so secure actor. Tell, tell, me a little, <laughs> tell me a little bit about, like, uh, what's that range of directors for you? You know, like, you tell me about your perception of directors, you know? There must be, the, I guess the cliche is there are the directors who don't give you anything. And then there are directors who over-direct, right? Yep. Give me your your vision of that experience. I remember, I remember one director in Transport of the Series, he, he said to me, Greg, less. I'm going, I'm not moving. The most less that I could do is not speak. <laughs> and and uh, Wow. But I'm going, okay, the less you want, I'll give you less. Yeah, wow, wow. So And then here you are thinking you're at way I down towards zero. I basically was frozen in my mind, yeah. <laughs> and I know what he was going for. But I thought I was already there. But that, that was his style. Yeah. That was his style. It was extremely broken down and naturalistic and extremely minimalistic. You know, so directors come up with their own style of how to get things out of actors, and they want what they want, you know, and that's... That's, that's how they do their that's thing. How, that's right? how they work. That's how they work. Do you ever find, in your experience, do directors take it 
too far and say, okay, I get it, that's too far, and let's bring it the other way a notch, and that's good? No, they just decide that what they were looking for was not really what they want. Right. So that's how they decide. No, that's not what I'm looking for, because he did what I wanted, just that's not what I'm going for. So now we change. You have to keep in mind that actors, actors are, I hate to put it in these terms, well. but we're puppets. Okay. It sounds derogatory, but it's not really. Technically, it's true in a sense where we are just delivering what the director wants. Right. And that's it. You know, we want, you say the lines, you're delivering what they want. And that's the skill. Okay, and that's really quite mm, off-putting because, you know, and they may not want what they, you know, so. Here's an esoteric question. what it is. I don't know if you can quantify this. Is there a percentage or how much as an actor and you're working with a director, how much do you feel, I got this, I nailed this, and the director is saying yes, you know, that you're in, in sync for like, me oh, personally? Half the time? Oh, 90% of the time? Oh, my God, 20%? I, I would say know? 60% of the time. But that doesn't mean that the 40%, I didn't nail it. It's, it's just no, that no, he no. didn't... No, 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 I'm saying your you know, perception. Well, I'm it, very... Brian, I'm very critical. I'm extremely <laughs> well, critical. Well, clearly, you were talking about the yeah, bar, yeah, the level of the yeah. bar you set. I'm very... And, I'm very and let me flip the coin, right? How about this? Do you ever watch a performance where you're watching it and you know, that's not what I thought... I did, or that's not the one he chose. As a musician, I'm Most thinking... Most of the time, yeah. I knew that that's what they were going to choose. For some reason, right. I knew that they were going to choose that. Yeah. Like, let's say, Pudsey the movie, right? They wanted to fly me out of the scene. They wanted to fly me out on a harness. They scrapped that. So I'm thinking, okay, now it's got to be physical, right? So now I've got to do things, but don't overdo it. Just make it real. So... He, the dog pushes me out of right. the scene. And I didn't know what they wanted or what was too much or what was not enough. You know? Because so, it's become physical, you mean? Yeah, and yeah. Then there was no, like, you know, oh, my God, that was awesome. Affirmation central. It wasn't that. And most actors don't get that anyway. You don't get that. But they're happy with that, boom. And you have to trust that. Just like what I said before, you know, like the... I didn't feel the director said, excellent job. He said, good job. Right. That should be enough. For an actor, that should be enough. But every director is different. Every director is different, and they're going to express more. They're not going to, on the whole, they don't express a lot. Hmm. Interesting. If you're a, a superstar, they might. But I don't that's know. That's different, right? Because there's the ego kind of the, oh, yes, Mr. De Niro, you were perfect. I did, I, this, I, I did this commercial with Burt Reynolds once, and George not Hamilton. Not everybody gets to say that. So go ahead, please. Okay. <laughs> and George Hamilton, and Burt Reynolds. Forget the director. Huge star. He ran the show. Yeah. This is Smokey and the Bandit. It's about... I'm not going to get into all the details of what it was like, all right? Because I'm not going to... Oh, please, Protect the innocent. Yeah. Yeah. But when he put on the Stetson, I was like living a childhood dream. All right? Where's Sally Field? Where's the Trans Am? Right? I was like, oh, my God. You know what I mean? And it was just crazy. And I loved that. I just, just loved it. But I'm telling you, my whole point of saying all this is that Burt Reynolds ran the show. You know, so, okay, so he was the superstar. So the director will act differently toward the superstar than he will to people who aren't superstars. Interesting. You know what I mean? Yeah. So maybe they'll praise him a little bit more. They'll be like, oh, my God, that was a great... But then Burt Reynolds will be like, I didn't like that. We need to do it more like this. I remember the director going... Okay, yeah, all right, let's do it. Like, I'm going, who's running this show? Yeah. You know? Let's do another take. <laughs> Roll camera. 
You know, I'm not, is that, uh, the director's just there for the ride. You know what I mean? Well, just, <laughs> that happens. I don't know. You know I don't know. We'll be right back to the conversation after this brief message from our sponsor. Today's podcast is brought to you by JLC Accounting, bookkeeping, accounting, tax preparation, and advisory. For more information, visit jlc-accounting.com. That's jlc-accounting.com. Tell me a little bit about your music performances recently. Yeah. You know, you've been, tell me a little bit about what you're doing as a, a musician and a performer. It's really low-key. It's really chilled. It's, it's nothing like glamorous. Well, it can be. Well, hold on, hold on. Back up. I'm sorry to interrupt. When we first worked together and we first knew each other, you were playing piano and you were singing and uh, a, a variety yeah. of material. So I'm assuming that is similar to what you're doing now. Yeah. So please, yeah. go ahead. Okay, so... I'm a jazz vocalist, and I play piano uh, as well. And I also occasionally play with an orchestra called the Clefhangers, and they're an 18-piece fabulous orchestra. <laughs> they're really great. Now, um, this is a big band? What's it's the a big band, right? yeah, yeah. And uh, we do all the Sinatras and the, the big, big band stuff. It's just so much fun. Uh, but when I'm not doing that, I could be either soloing uh, piano vocal or with a saxophone and an upright bass, maybe a trumpet, depending. Yep, smaller jazz combo yeah. kind of feel, yeah. Or a quartet. Now, where have you been playing? Yeah, I do the uh, Dorchester Coworth Park and Ascot, which I'll tell you about that in a second. Yeah, please. I uh, can't do too much, maybe, but nevertheless. Uh, then the other Dorchester. Uh, I used to do a lot of the Playboy Club. Just it's not a far lot of away fun. from here, right? It's right around the corner. No. I could, we could walk there in 10 minutes. Yeah, it's right here. Fabulous place. But that is the Salvatore's inside is no longer in business, so that, they closed down. So we, we stopped. Uh, it's called the Tail Club now. <laughs> anyway, yeah, original name. Right. But nevertheless. Um, <laughs> Not a stretch. <laughs> no. Um, so anyway, those were the days. But uh, then there was the, the Millennium Mayfair, the Pine Bar. and uh, But I did a lot at the Beaufort Bar at the Savoy. I play a lot at the Savoy now. Uh, the American Bar and the Simpsons. Nice. Mostly as just uh, jazz vocalist on, on the keys. But at the Beaufort Bar, when I used to play there a lot, you know, stomping at the Savoy. They did a lot of that there. Yeah. New York and then then here. I mean, the history of the Savoy is off the charts. Right. But anyway, I used to have a, a saxophone uh, and an upright bass uh, play with me. And, and I'll tell you something, I used to have a blast. Such an opulent, upper-class place to, to play. But it, it just made you better. That's all. It just made you better. What do you mean? What do you uh, mean by that? Because it's a very expensive place. It's very historically, you know, and it's the Savoy and it's everything about it is expensive. And so you get a certain clientele that come through and of course the management expect a certain decorum. Right, it's you. expectation. Right. You got, the bar yeah. is high. Oh, the bar. As far as the talent goes, you got to got to know your stuff. You know, and, and I do know my stuff. I mean, I've been doing it for years now, so it's it's not a problem. And and even if 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 they ask for certain things, I that's fine, you know, I do. So so here I am I'm with a uh, saxophone or a yeah, and I do a lot of private events as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and uh, which I hire certain people that I know. It's great at Chelsea, and these are like houses that are like museums, you know. Yeah, and and they have. 200, 300, whatever, people showing up, and it's a summer party, and it's go for it, you know, go for it. And I like those events even more than, 
you know, the residencies I have at Savoy and at the Dorchester, etc., because uh, they I can let loose, and these people are not bound by any sort of like, you know, I'm in a hotel, or maybe I should do this. I'm in a house. I know these people. Let loose. Right. Go. Even though it's expensive, but they're human beings at the end of the day. Sure. They want to party. You know what I mean? What's wrong with that? Yeah, so. but it's a little looser. It's a more casual yeah. atmosphere. And I don't wear a suit. You know what I mean? I, I wear a suit, but I, I'd like to stylize my suits a little bit. Yeah. Um, so, but I can but wear a little bit more stuff. tight. It's not uptight. Maybe right. that's the word for it. That's, yeah. a, that's a good word. Interesting. Brian. Yeah, a little less uptight. You know, I, I'm glad we've sort of brought that full circle because my perception of you is the triple threat, you know, is, is having the music skills and the stage and the acting skills combined. So I'm glad to hear about those two worlds that you have a foot in. And we haven't even touched on Miss Saigon yet. I know, I know, oh my God. All right, all right, so, <laughs> you How know. How much time do we have? Okay, five minutes, ready? Give me the okay, Miss Saigon story, and then I'm gonna land years, the plane. Go ahead, two Miss years Saigon, Miss Saigon. Go. I played Schultz at the beginning, which is a smaller featured role into a, then I played John. Right. Which was uh, singing Wee Doy. He's the best friend of the lead role, Chris. And I met my wife during this tour, and it was just a great experience. Uh, became friends with Cameron McIntosh and learned a lot. I met people now who have gone on to bigger and better things. Drop some names, please. Really? Please, for me. Luke Evans. I did John when he played Chris, and it was yeah, we, so we, every we, night you guys are on. Yeah, it. yeah, you know, but you know, people are people. You know, we're actors. We're actors. Yeah. You know, doing. Uh, the he's game. a lovely, lovely person to, to work with. But anyway, Miss Saigon was a great experience. The people that would come up to us at the end of the show and say, "Listen, I was in the Vietnam War." Yeah. And I can't believe they would say this to me because, I mean, for goodness sake, it's a musical. It's not like it's a... Yeah, but you know, you have the ending scene and the helicopter. Yeah, I mean, it yeah. was, they'd say, it was so realistic in many ways. And I'm like, it just touched me. It brought me back. And I'm going, wow, gosh. Yeah. I mean, it's, if there's any reason to do what we do, it's for these people to bring them to a place where they're better off. I mean... Why are we doing this? Well, that's what the arts does. Right? Isn't right? that unbelievable? People would come up to you crying, and they'd be like, you've made my dreams come true. And I'm going, really? <laughs> and of course you, you know, I'm saying really, but I mean, you believe them, of course. Well, and, well you're the guy on stage. They're absorbing it. They're, they're, they're absorbing perceiving it. it. Yeah. And you're doing this eight shows a week, and you're doing yeah. this every yeah. day, and you don't know, because you're trying to bring something different to it every time. But for them, and you've got 3,000 people, and I'm telling you, they were occasionally... One time, we performed for 35,000 once at the Millennium in Cardiff. Whoa. It's a stadium. Yeah. Right? This was a children's uh, event that was going on, but it was... We had Charlotte Church came, uh, we had Russell Watson came, and we had the band Blue. They, these were all us A-list people, you know what I mean? Huge event. Yeah, it took you 10 minutes to cross the stage. I mean, it was huge stage, you know, everything. And here I am singing Bui Doi. And it was just 35, I mean, when they applaud, it's different than, you know. But oh, anyway, yes. it was a great, great, the Miss Saigon moves so many people. And it was, a, it was a really great, great thing. So what's next for you? I've got a few things lined up that I'm hoping is going to land. So uh, TV and film wise. So that, and that that's, certainly is the direction you're headed. That's where I want to be. Because I'll be honest with you, that is, for me, Musical theater has a ceiling to me, and, really? and as much as I, I do love it a lot, but 
I got to a point at which I was quite saturated with it all so much that I had to pull back. And even, even a lot of the repertoire that I have, and I've got a huge repertoire that I do at, at venues, I play for hours. And, and I'll tell you, I don't do a lot of musicals because they're not requested anymore. Right. They're you're not expected anymore. You're doing standards. Yes, but of course a lot of standards come from well, sure, musicals. From, yeah. You know, people don't, may or may not know that, but nevertheless, uh, <laughs> um, I just, so I don't do a lot of musicals because I've fallen a little bit out with it, you know. But I do do them, but just not as much as I do. And a lot of, I do a lot of contemporary music. And I love, I love breaking that up and jazzing that up, yeah, yeah, yeah. turning it around, you know. And I love the musicality of how to get there, you know. And so I love that. And so, I, I, you know, you do the old musical stuff, and I do the old musical stuff. And, and it's like, okay, well, I do it the way I do it. So listen, we're at the end of our time. Um, Thank this you, is, We could talk for another hour. Yeah, I, okay, here, anyway. last question. Okay. This is how I like to end my podcast. I'll try to be um, concise. Difficult for me. Very easy, right? It's an easy <laughs> one. So phone rings, you pick it up, you hang it up. The person on the phone just helped you solve your biggest problem. Who was it? What was the problem? Go. How do I get to the next level in my acting career? And who was it? They just solved You know that. the first person that That's came the to question. mind? Go. John Williams also came to mind for me. I know it's not acting, but I've always fantasized about calling John Williams one day and saying, listen, I have a musical problem. I was wondering if you can help me. I have this impression of him going, well, let me see what I can do. <laughs> and then the reality kicks in and goes, um, don't ever call here again. Well, listen. <laughs> <laughs> Lose my number. But, no, well, listen. Maybe no. John Williams will listen to this podcast. You never know. But really, ultimately, right now in my life, it would be about how do I get to the next level? Let me get to the next level. It could be an A-lister that, that helps me out because I know that that's helped. Yeah. I know that uh, Bruce Willis helps uh, actors. I mean, maybe that could be, you know, I, here I am just throwing names out as if it's, but I mean, it could be something like that. I might have worked with that person and they will bring me up. I worked with hmm. Alessandro Nevola, who did Jurassic Park yep. 3 and did various other things, and Cherry Jones recently. Mm -hmm. Fabulous people, they're just so grounded and just lovely, lovely people. And these people have done a lot. Maybe they would call me and I would say, listen, let's do this. And I rise up with them, you know what I mean? So I maybe, if that's the question you're asking, you know what I mean, somebody calls me, Yep. maybe one of those, maybe Alessandro, because we hit it off, nice. you know, we hit it off. Well, Greg, thank you for joining me. Oh, my pleasure, man. What a blast. It's great to see my you. Pleasure. Uh, thanks for answering all my goofy questions. As best I could, anyway. It may oh, not make any sense. You but. know, well, another round of champagne yeah, wouldn't I know hurt. What I'm and uh, we'll see you again shortly. Great. Good Thank luck. you, Brian. So good to see you, man. Today's podcast is brought to you by JLC Accounting, bookkeeping, accounting, tax preparation, and advisory. For more information, visit jlc-accounting.com. That's jlc-accounting.com. This has been a production of East Main Media, hosted by Brian Brodeur. Special thanks to associate producer Morgan Taylor, audio engineer J.P. Conk, senior producer Kayla Galka. If you enjoyed this podcast, please make sure to subscribe and leave us a good rating. For more information, visit eastmainmedia.com. And thank you for listening. <laughs>